my case with Neon does highlight that about how corrupt the system actually is. Sally Roberts provoked a media storm by going on the run with her son, Neon, to prevent him having cancer treatment. So the police found us in the middle of the night. They took us to hospital and within two hours we had been discharged because she couldn't find anything wrong with him. And that's when they got um, social services, took him away from me. I begged them to let me go with him. They wouldn't. Doctors say without the treatment, Neon's chances of survival are significantly reduced. But his mother believes radiotherapy could cause lasting damage. When you go to court, you have to provide evidence. Um, but the NHS didn't, didn't have to. And I kept saying, well, I want to see studies that show that the treatment that you are proposing is, is beneficial. It's based on a medical profession that's been held in fairly good stead for decades, nay, centuries. If you're right, fantastic. If you're wrong, you watch your son die. The big three, the, the media, the legal system, and the National Health Service all going one way and I was going in the other direction and they weren't having it. And I just, I felt really disappointed by the media. They had a, a great opportunity to debate and, and say, maybe a seven-year-old child does not need to be as harmed as much. Sadly, plenty of people and plenty of children have radiotherapy and it helps them beat cancer once and for all. And I had the, um, the proton beam therapy all set up and they, they made an example of, of me through the media and Neon through the treatment. Sally, it's amazing to have this. It is. Hi, Sally. Opportunity Hello. To talk to you again. How long has it been? Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Amazing. Eight long years, but and gone very quick. And the reason we're talking to you is because you have now told your story. Um, the book, The Treatment, First Do No Harm, is out. And it is yes. your story. And it is it is truly a remarkable story. I read the book to cover to cover in one day um, this last weekend. And um, I really think anyone that is engaging with the National Health Service, with a child with cancer, needs to read it. Um, and, you know, just to put a little bit of context around it, you know, when we first heard from you, Sally, it was because you were about to show up in court. Um, your little son, Neon, um, one of a pair of twins that you'd had, had been diagnosed with a medulloblastoma. Um, he'd had surgery. Um, the tumour had been fully resected, fully removed, but they wanted to do mop-up radiotherapy and chemotherapy. That's what you had an issue with, wasn't it? And um, essentially, you were reaching out to lots of people, including ourselves, to see if you could help. And the big news was that you had been in hiding, and we're going to hear lots more about that. You'd run away from the system with Neon, um, and, and of course, the situation was changing almost by the minute, even when you got into court. And what we were able to read in the headlines at that time was something that also did not resonate as true, which was if Neon didn't have this treatment, he would die. And you were somehow being held accountable for that. 
So the media were absolutely um, against you. Um, eight years on, how does that all feel? I, I've recovered a lot now, eight years later, but that grueling treatment that they had me on set up for was, as you mentioned, Neon had had a full resection and that really got lost in the story in the media. They never once said the tumour has been fully removed. It was, they kept repeating, I'm denying him from life-saving treatment, whereas I felt he'd already been saved. He'd had life-saving surgery. And uh, so this uh, treatment that they kept calling life-saving I felt was going to do more harm than good. Uh, one hell of a preventative, radiation, radiotherapy, I, you know, and then chemo to mop it up. It's, I felt it was barbaric. Because I think what also didn't come out, but it struck me back at the time, is that it was very clear to those of us who were looking into it, that it wasn't mm. just the fact that it had all been removed, but there was a good tissue margin of healthy tissue around where they'd done the resection. And they'd even said that what they thought had been a shadow was scar tissue. And so I That's just, right. I mean, I just don't understand how all the legal representation that you did have, that never, it never came up. It, it, I know. And they, they did test after test, um, lumbar punctures, his cerebral spinal fluid was clear. There was no cells that they could detect. Uh, so you're doing a mop-up with radiation, that, which is carcinogenic. Yeah, and, and of course yes. the, the interesting thing is while you were characterised as someone who was um, really only looking for alternative treatments, <sighs> Um, you were actually um, proposing the use, as we were supporting that whole process of proton beam therapy, which interestingly is, is now in place. And you were having to contend with a situation that was in so many ways contrary to one of the fundamental principles within the NHS constitution is to tailor treatments around the needs and requirements of patients and their families. I mean, did you feel that any of your, were you ever listened to at that stage? It was anything but tailored. It was an umbrella treatment, one size fits all, on the conveyor belt, this is what they had, this is how they do it. Um, there was, Neon was not treated as, a, as an individual at all. And that's what really worried me because what happened to Neon was one in a million. And I felt that the UK was not at the forefront of treating cancer. And so I searched worldwide and I found Germany and America um, had better options. I had emailed out um, to 30 clinics at least with Kevin Wright's help. And, um, and I was hearing back from all these clinics they needed more information. They wanted to um, have the scans, the histology. The NHS weren't providing me with what I needed to move forward with these other clinics that I was happy to have Neon treated at. And they just wouldn't let them go from the very beginning. Yeah, they were absolutely stalling. I mean, those, you know, your patient rights, those are your records. And, yes. um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's actually not legal for them to have held on to them.
No, and, and me on being a child, I feel um, lots of adults um, have a different experience, but as a mother of, of my child, a seven-year-old boy going through this, I had no, um, it was out of my hands. They were, this, was, this is our boy, this is my son. And I want the best for him, and you're only offering him, offering him that, which I feel is going to do so much damage. And you're, from the very beginning, I said you're not offering him anything to re, um, to to boost his immune system, and um, that was what I had a real problem with. And Sally, obviously, he did go and have whole brain radiotherapy. Can we just cut to the present? How is he? How is you? Has his twin sister, Electra. How, are you, how have you all coped? It took a long time to recover. I was so shaky for one year. You could, um, anyone who came close could feel my vibration. I literally couldn't um, hold my hand still. If I put my hand back on my head, it was, um, it was shaking. Um, but Neon, Neon is doing so well considering he what he's been through um it's quite remarkable really um at the time he was just couldn't remember what he had for breakfast that day um uh, Electra has never shown me on much pity or any pity <laughs> which has been really good um so and yeah, that, and the same for us all, really. And you just have to deal what's thrown at you, and um, and we've dealt with it. Are they still as close as they were as kids? Oh yeah, she's so protective of Neon. Um, you know, she can say and do what she likes, but if anyone else, um, <laughs> she she protects him. Well, there's no uh, doubt that the um, kind of nutrients and environment that you gave him at the time would have had a big impact on recovery oh, and repair processes um, and it's you know it's a, a really a tribute to what you've done the fact that that he's he's doing okay um, so Thank look should we just dive in a little bit from your perspective um, you've, you've written a whole book on it do you want to give us a sort of encapsulated view of some of the extraordinary highlights the highs the lows the highlights the lowlights of, of of what happened um from this distance well the very beginning of the the first few chapters of the book i was already going through what you could describe as hell uh with the, the situation i found myself in uh with my husband at the time having moved um his friend in, who turned out to be more than a friend, and um, she was both of our friend, but um, yes, it, it turned into that she was his mistress, and we hadn't, we were selling, we of course had to get out of that situation, me and the children, so um, the house sold, a uh, 42-day countdown with the, uh, we sold it via auction, um, and as that 42-day um, countdown finished, and uh, I, Neon had, with his neck was um, off, um, and I knew he was suffering from headaches and, um, and double vision. 
the, no, the you, GP, you were going to the GP repeatedly. and, and, they, and they, they missed it entirely, didn't they? Backwards and forwards, they sent him to physio. Um, you know, there was. I knew that something was deeply was was wrong, but I never guessed that it would be as bad as it was. Um, but that two days before the same week that I was moving out of the property, um, Neon had that scan, a long-awaited scan. This is all over three or four months, um, backwards and forwards from the doctor. And um, and yes, it all happened, it exploded at the same time. So having gone through that and then to that, it was just... Move house, you were dealing with the mistress um, in your house. Relationship you, breakdown. Is... Then, and and you, you then had the diagnosis of Neon's cancer. You had... And, and the the 42 day um, time frame that you had to move house was also a 42 day time frame that your consultant oncologist was giving you after the surgery and prior to the radiotherapy. That's right. I, I just, it was so bizarre. It was so surreal. It was like 42 days and then literally the, the moment that 42 day um, came to an end I was starting another one and I thought what is it with this 42 days <laughs> obviously it was awful I think you've been incredibly fair but it does come across very strongly in the book what you were dealing with in terms of your ex-husband and I think for for anybody it shows that you know when you have a when you have a child in need, the united front is absolutely critical, and especially when you're up against, you know, a monolith organisation like the NHS with everything they they've got to they brought to mm. bear. But to be dealing with the emotional side like that on top of everything else you were going through, I mean, Sally, it's an absolute credit to the strength that you've got within that you're still you're still here, and you've actually managed to tell your story. So, Sally, if we, when we look at the uh, what happened from the time of the diagnosis, you had this forty-two day time period. You were running very, very close to that deadline when the court was then wanting to make a decision. There was also a very high likelihood that um, they were going to make Neon Ward of Court at that point, and that's when you you must have been in a pretty major panic because what what's pretty evident is that you had done an enormous amount of study. You had a lot of information at your fingertips, but it was almost as if you were speaking a different language to anyone else. And that would have also included Ben, your your um, yeah. part, your husband at the time. Um, and I remember you did ask me to speak to him and I, I, I did have a chat with him at that time. And yeah. remember thinking, he's sounds very laid back and kind of only partially engaged um, with with the issues and the complexity of the issues. And um, he hadn't really fully appreciated what you were trying to do. And I think this is this is right at the heart of the whole issue, is that yes. um, you were a mother trying to do the best for your child. And, and yet the way the outside world was interpreting that, partially because they had less information, was that you somehow were trying to harm your child. That must have been an impossible situation to cope with. It was inverted. It, it couldn't have been, I couldn't have been portrayed um, more 
badly. It was horrific. Uh, that's why I absconded because of the 42 day countdown um, and the clock was ticking. They hadn't provided me with what I needed to move forward with the other clinics. And, um, and, and then, yes, he was fully uh, in favor of me finding a safer treatment at first. But as soon as the media and the court became involved, I feel he was used as a pawn. Um, and they, they used him. Yeah, they, they did yeah, use they him. Did. He, he was very confused by the whole situation. And, and, you know, did you realize at that time, because the media was all, you know, suggesting that you were in hiding, from your point of view, did you realize the police were after you, the CID were after you? Well, as I was at um, Kevin Wright's uh, property, and I, they knew that I was there because I, the hospital, um, so I knew I just had to um, leave because the 42 days was almost up. And Neon was cancer free, and I wanted to protect him. And um, I, I wanted the NHS to provide me with what I was asking for to move forward with the other clinics. Um, but uh, that never happened, and then it escalated. The, the, court, uh, the police found, released it, that um, manhunt um, through the media. So I had um, all of a sudden was betrayed, dragged to court, and and it escalated into what it, what happened. So how did it feel when when that knock on the door occurred? Um... And it was at three o'clock in the morning, uh, two two thirty in the morning. Sorry, I just turned my airplane mode on. Um, it was. Uh, I felt like uh, I was trapped, and and I had failed Neon to protect him, and um, it just mm, what bullies. And then to be taken by social services, it was just it despicable. So, um, so strongly in the book how deeply traumatic it was, but I really want to make the point here that Neon was in incredibly good health at that stage. You'd done so much and the robustness for, for, for our listeners and people who understand health creation as against disease management, you had managed to regenerate that little body and bring him right back again. He was um, in the newspaper that um, day when they, they said they're looking for a sick boy and they made out that he was awfully sick um, with cancer and that they needed to get him to hospital. So the police found us in the middle of the night. They took us to hospital and within two hours we had been discharged because she couldn't find anything wrong with him. And that's when they got um, social services, took him away from me. I begged them to let me go with them. They wouldn't, which obviously words can't describe how horrific that was. That was one of the worst moments and so hard to write in the book because the emotion um, was just off the scales. You, ca you captured it absolutely. Um, I, my eyes were not dry at that point no. at all. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, what, what was fascinating is that when you then, so, so you in the hospital, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. They realized this is not a sick child at all. Mm. You were still very much of the view that the surgery had been 100% successful. There was a full resection. Yes. Um, 
there was a curved ball thrown at you when you got to the High Court, wasn't there, in terms of what was going on, um, that there appeared to be what you thought may be scar tissue. Um, can we just look at, at, at what happened when you got to court? You went there thinking that um, you could make a strong case for the fact that there was no um, you know, malignant tumour there anymore, um, that the, the surgery being successful, that you were looking for another way of dealing with uh, any residual um, cancer cells, which was using proton beam therapy, which ironically is now available on the National Health Service. Um, so what happened when you got into court? They, once they got um, Neon into social services, um, they took him to Devon and then um, brought him to London to uh, Ben, and, um, and it was straight to hospital for a scan. And that scan, um, well, it was all, is it, isn't it, is it, isn't it? And it had been back from the, um, the moment that they had done the initial surgery. And they needed to get Neon back on the starting block. And part of the protocol was that he had to embark on this treatment within 42 days um, of the surgery. So he was out of their box. Um, so I felt that the second look surgery was all about getting him back on the starting block. And, um, and I asked for the surgeon's notes after, and um, it, the words they used were likely to be. Um, it was... And so, of yeah. course, you, you can never retrace or um, reappraise what was actually going on because they did the whole brain radiotherapy they would argue that if a tumour didn't develop subsequently, it was because the treatment worked. But you will never know whether you were only seeing scar tissue there or, or not. Is that right? That's right. That's very much. Um, yeah, it was. Because <laughs> it suddenly became more than just mop-up. It was mop-up plus suspected tumour regrowth. And um, that would have been a very um, persuasive argument for the court to hear from yeah. very prestigious oncologists. It, it was as if, though, I, I, I get the sense that they knew and that it wasn't and that they were just able to use it. It was another tool for manipulation. A hundred percent. I was adamant that, that it was not um, regrowth, uh, but they just needed to, to say that it was to be able to um, justify their ongoing protocol with the radiotherapy. And, and once it all got into court, it just became theatrical. And uh, the fact that the, you know, it became theatrical because the judge took an unprecedented stance to allow the media full access. I mean, and, and the image of a child and Neon's name and everything. I mean, it, that in itself, I, I feel is almost criminal behaviour. So they were all sitting in there and I thought, oh, well, gosh, this will be reported on fairly, you know, in my innocent mind. But it, um, it was so biased, so unbalanced, and there was no investigative journalism whatsoever. It was all um, making me that they were more intent on maligning my character than discussing the um, why I was 
questioning the treatment in, in the first case. Picking that point up, the seems to me that the point at which there started to be a bifurcation, a change in direction, was when your um, oncologists in Bristol used the expression that um, they needed to fry Neon's brain. Oh, um, I mean, that, that is an obscene yes. statement to make to a parent. What, was, what went through your mind when you heard those comments? Excuse the pun, but it was a very heated conversation. <laughs> it was because um, I was asking so many questions because my mind could not, um, I, I could not understand why they were doing a treatment um, like radiotherapy when he was already cancer free. I could have understood if there was uh, cancer cells or part of the tumor that was left or if it metastasized, but he was all in the all clear. So I was just, um, I was obviously deeply shocked when he said that. And I was going to, um, my solicitor at the time did suggest that I should report him to the G to the General Medical Council, but I um, I never got round to it. But he 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 I did send him an email and say that um, I my solicitor suggested that I should report him and he he did say that would cause me um it, it, uh, I, I know exactly I, I, and, and of course a lot of personal discomfort the, this, is, this is where yes, the, the issue of accountability nets never gets mm. taken into account. It it it's um that was a, a particular trigger that set you off in another direction. As a as a loving parent, you you have to find a better way of doing it. Frying the brain does not sound to any parent who loves their child to be a reasonable action. And um, I, I believe it's a deeply irresponsible uh, statement that was made, and and, and they should, they should um, take some responsibility for it. I'm sure he regretted it. And it wasn't just full brain, it was, it was a spine as well, so. Well, I, I, I know, and I think that for anybody reading the book, um, well, I would ask people to read the book because you don't ever understand the full extent of what that means until you read your account of it. Um, uh, you know, if you haven't been through it, you don't understand the brutality, and I cannot imagine the deep-seated, um, psychological trauma that um, Neon is still holding, the terror of being, I mean, I, I couldn't undergo that, being trapped in a mask and screwed down to the bed. I, I know, I, 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 I know. I, tears, I could see tears just rolling down his cheeks. And that's what I always thought before um, this, that experience with Neon, is when you looked at someone, that look of the treatment, it, they, you think it's because they've got cancer, but it's not. That look of cancer is, in fact, actually the treatment. And the treatment, um, as he looked perfectly normal, and, uh, like Neon, before the treatment, and what that treatment did to him um, made him ghost-like. Even when I took photos of him, he, could, he was all blurred out. It was unbelievable. The, the uh, Yes to Life charity that I've been involved with for a long time, I'm always amazed when you look at the, you know, three, four hundred people who attend the conferences and then you're chatting to them afterwards and one by one they, you know, you find they're stage four cancer patients who are in robust health, often apparent health, 
Um, yes. And we forget that so often the, the look of a cancer patient is down to the effects of the treatment rather than the cancer itself. I was very um, glad because of that that you included um, Lord Saatchi's words as well because he encapsulates that so incredibly eloquently um, you does. know about, um, about the way cancer treatment is basically torture. It um, really, yeah, he, he does. He's a very wise man, his words. So um, if we move back to um, the court, um, Justice Bodie, um, do you have any faith in the English legal system? I mean... Well, um, that's an interesting question because in that, in that instance, absolutely not. Um, when, they're, when, when it's one of their own ilk and part of the system, I, you, I was just run over. Um, they, they had their, what they were going to do. And, and as I said before, it was just theatrical um, what, what happened. And I didn't have a legal companion. Um, that believed in my plight, so I was lost. Yeah, I, you know, I think in many respects, any court case is, is based. I remember one of the um, European lawyers that we were working with when we took a case to the High Court. He made the point that a, a legal case is only as good as the um, foundation blocks on which it's built. And of yes. course, the in many respects, they had the full weight of expertise, people with a lot of letters after their names. An army of <laughs> legal representatives. And I, I think, you know, as I read it, the take home is that, um, you know, we, we always hear this term cancer support for patients and families. The reality is it seems to be that cancer support is very conditional on you playing a game, going along with it. If you and don't well, play that game, the support, I mean, when you read the book, Kevin Wright seems to be the prime person, the one person who himself is a colourful character who's, you know, has yes. been on the other side of the law more than once in his life. Um, but he had a heart and he really was a tremendous support for you. But of course, he didn't have a lot of letters after his name. Was that really perhaps the problem? Yes, well, the conventional treatment, it's like fully lit, someone's holding your hand, come this way and and this is what we can do and and they just it's like everyone's singing the praise and hallelujah this is the way and then you've got another the other path um the unknown no rights everyone's saying oh no you can't do that and um and no help whatsoever and i i was choosing that path because I didn't want to go that path because it was leading to um, a whole raft of other um, things in Neon's later life. Um, and you didn't, you didn't have, um, you didn't have um, Ben. You didn't have a husband who was able to be at your side then. And I think you know we, we were also no. looking closely at the Asia King um, uh, case, which is very, very similar to you and. When you look at what happened, perhaps one of the big differences is as a couple, as a husband and wife, minding their son, they were together. They were joined up on all of the arguments and, and you, were, you were not. Um, when you look at that case, it also happened 
two or three years later. Um, so proton beam therapy was even more close to getting the green light in the NHS. Um, when you look, when you compare the cases, how do you see the differences? It was a carbon copy, but um, yes, they, the Usher King family had a united front. They were together, they were supportive of each other, and they had the legal representative who believed in, in their cause. Uh, whereas I didn't have that luxury. In fact, um, I felt that my QC um, didn't believe, he even told me to admit defeat. And I, I looked at him and thought, well, hang on a second, aren't you supposed to be with me here? Um, so in, in that respect, I just, I, I didn't have criminal much criminal proceedings, um, you know, a lawyer has to act in the best interests of, of their client. Um, it's, it's an extraordinary situation. Who, um, who appointed him, Sally? That was one thing that wasn't that clear in the book. That, it wasn't very clear, honestly. Okay, so you've asked the question, so I'll answer it as best as I can. But um, I went to a solicitor, Kevin Wright took me to a solicitor when I was staying with him in Tiverton. And, um, and, and she had organised um, Robin Tolson. So when I, when I was taken to court um, after I'd absconded and that next morning, and he was just there waiting for me. Because I, I thought I was not going to have any legal representative because I hadn't um, yeah. sorted it out. Okay, okay. And he, and he was very amenable initially, but um, didn't deliver the goods really on your behalf, did he? No. Yeah. Um, I shortly had, I had to dismiss him. Back yeah. to um, Kevin Wright, just because I know a lot of our listeners would be intrigued to hear what you were doing, what kind of nutrients, what kind of protocols were you exposing Neon to, to help regeneration, his rebuilding of his immune system, which was really central to your focus at the time? Well, that's uh, why Kevin Wright was, I couldn't um, praise him enough. Um, he allowed Neon and I to use his hyperbaric, <coughs> excuse me, chamber daily, um, which we were using for an hour and a half. And um, we were doing... Um, we had the Rife machine and we were doing um, all sorts, Neon was having all sorts of supplements. We were juicing. Um, he, he had a Norwood juicer and, um, and just eating very, very good food and, and being rehabilitated, which he wasn't being, he wasn't uh, progressing at all when he was in the hospital for those three weeks um, and in three days at Kevin's he just it was a whole new um, boy. So you you were definitely exposed to the metabolic theory of cancer at that stage weren't you and and so you would have been um, Neon would have been on a very low carb diet with lots of uh, phytonutrients and everything else coming into the picture. Yes and, yeah. no, and no sugar you make a you make a very um very clear points around the fact that our NHS is still releasing nutritional information that um, focuses on high calorie sugary foods um, and and not I mean we are very aware that the Marsden is still publishing that for adults but the fact that they've still got it in the guidelines for children is really quite terrifying. 
It's disgraceful, absolutely disgraceful. And then the Nestle thing they provided me with, the protein um, powder, I looked at the back of it and I kept it. I've still got it somewhere in a box because how could you be giving this to a child? It has no goodness whatsoever in it. And that pink booklet they had at the time, um, How Your Child Should Eat, Going Through Cancer, with the sugary biscuits on the front. And um, no, it was, it's an embarrassment. To, and I can't believe people, um, that these professionals would actually think that that was of any benefit. But you can't believe in this day and age, with the science where it sits, That's that right. is actually allowed. It, it, it is criminal. It is criminal. It's, it's, it's a classic example of siloed medicine where the um, expertise on nutrition has been delegated to dietitians who see their only role as providing energy to keep the body, you know, functioning in its most primitive form. And then the real treatment is being delivered by surgery, chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And they have not moved to understand that actually what you eat and the environment around you um, is actually part of the treatment as well. And this is, you know, these are the, this is the process of slowly moving towards a more integrative approach to, to cancer treatment. And of course, as you've highlighted so well, the NHS is really lagging behind. And I think one of the reasons it lags behind is because it's such a huge organisation full of systems and protocols. It's like a, a big super tanker that cannot change, it cannot be nimble, cannot change direction easily. But it also has characters in it, like your medical team, whose egos just completely ran amok. Uh, I mean, you, you, there is no other way to describe it. And they're not receiving, they're not receiving training I've, uh, in uh, nutrition at all. Not at all. You know, I spoke to my oncologist about it, Neon's oncologist, and, um, and they refused. They said, oh, it might have been of, of some importance but no it hasn't been scientifically proven but it has <laughs> but just you're not trained in it or taught it so they have no belief in it and then sadly a lot of the patients that are going along to them then listen to their doctors and and fully go with um, what they're telling them and then often it's too late before so if the integrative approach, um, you have to learn for yourself. You're not told by your doctor often. Um, there are obviously doctors uh, that are, um, receive, they go and teach them, receive their own training, but it's certainly not through the NHS. Thankfully, thankfully, there are more and more doctors who are looking into that and paying for it themselves, and we are seeing yes. a shift. But it's just, it's deeply painful that... Um, you seem to have a whole team of very old school doctors. Um, who, who probably have not heard the name uh, Dr. Thomas Seafried. And uh, I, I interviewed him for, for the last Yes to Life conference. And, you know, when you look at his sort of 30 year journey with metabolic theory of cancer and looking mm. at funding and I mean, it is unfortunately the politics of cancer um, that, that have made it, um, you know, kept it marginalised. But the extraordinary thing, those people who understand it's there and are willing to work with it have such remarkable results. And in most cases, these case series are not even published because it's difficult to find a scientific journal that will allow them to be published. So, yes, you know, like that's right. Your story, you've, you've chosen to publish it your, yourself. 
Um, mm. Otherwise, no one gets to know about it, and it remains the status quo remains. Um, That's right. So when you heard about um, the fact that the NHS it was, I think it was December two thousand eighteen, the Manchester proton beam therapy unit opened, and there's one just in, open now at UCLH in London. How did that make you feel? I was even back in 2012-13 when he was, so I had it all set up, the proton beam, and it, the NHS blocked him. Um, I, I, it was a mixture of emotions because I felt um, so frustrated and disappointed for Neon, um, but then obviously happy for that it's come here now and they're receiving training in it and that it will be offered to to others. Yeah. Sally, can I can I ask you, um, do, does does Ben and his family have any concept that what the part that they played in in the damage that Neon is now suffering and that he could have had a different outcome? That's uh, a really good question because I would have liked to have think that they do, um, but no, I think that they still strongly believe. That they did, um, that they supported the NHS. That was the the best treatment for him and the only treatment because it was um, advocated by all the doctors. And they, you know, I don't think there's been any remorse, any regret. I don't think they've thought about it whatsoever. I've I've wondered the same thing. And and, and what about seeing? Because I mean, they must see Neon on a regular basis, so they are aware that he suffers. Oh, well, yes, but once again, they, they think that the best was done for him. And because I asked Ben, obviously writing the book, and I, I said to him at one point just before I published, have you ever thought if he'd had received proton beam therapy? That, that, um, because he supported me at the beginning, but it was, um, he's just, he went along with the NHS. Um, but <laughs> the sad uh, fact that they measure they measure success. Great. See, I mean, Neon's um, outcome would be viewed as highly successful because mm. um, well, he, he survived cancer because the yeah, treatment. Yeah, yes. exactly. He survival. survived the treatment, and it was. We, we also, when we were researching the um, the long term prognosis for. Um, children that were exposed to whole brain radiotherapy it's quite extraordinary how many are severely damaged and they reach adulthood unable to you know basically have an, any kind of a normal life so um if you if if um children or adults who have the cancer riddled through their body um are going to have a very hard time dealing with the treatment but Neon was in a privileged position where he did not have cancer in his body. It had been taken out. So his immune system um, was, was better off. Um, obviously, the treatment had taken out his immune system. But uh, yes, I think that's why he did do so well, because he wasn't um, fighting cancer when he received the treatment. Um, um, of if course, that makes sense. I mean, your, your book has just come at the most perfect perfect time. I've always really believed that there's a right time for everything. And with what yes. we've all been going through, there are so many, I mean, I know the book is about neon and about childhood cancer and the treatment, but if you look further than that and you look at, 
the corruption and the politicization of the medical system, of the legal system, of the complete entwined nature of, um, of the mainstream media within all of that. We're, we're seeing all of this playing out again. And I think that your it comes across so strongly how you, you were just speaking another language and no one was hearing you. And yet now we're in this situation again where there were many millions of us speaking a different language and the system is still chunking on as normal. They are all in bed together and the media is the mouthpiece and it is very dangerous um, where we're at. And yes, I, I couldn't agree more. My case with Neon does highlight that about how corrupt the system actually is. And, but if you're just tuned into the mainstream and, um, and, and believe it, hook, line and sinker, then there is a lot of waking up to do because um, it's not as we're told. And a lot of it is propaganda and, um, and, and back going back to court, um, the, the reason I, I felt so strongly what they were doing was wrong is because they never provide, when you go to court, you have to provide evidence. Um, but the NHS didn't, didn't have to. And I kept saying, well, I want to see studies that show that the treatment that you are proposing is, of, of, is, is beneficial and is the right treatment. But the, the, only, the only study they came up with was, in fact, laughable from the 1940s, 17 children. And um, within one month, six weeks, those 17 children were dead. Of course, because the surgery wouldn't have been nearly as good back then. And, um, and, and it was just such a silly study. But this is and where your lawyer, your QC should have been involved in picking that up. I know, it was one of the main points, but it, it, I, it got brought up, but then lost. They didn't, they just chose to ignore it. It makes a mockery of the situation when you, I think the opening statement that the judge made was, Mrs. Roberts, are you completely against modern medicine? The irony is that they were relying on a 1940s um, modern medicine. How ironic! You were looking into the future at proton beam therapy. Yes, so, but they were stuck in the dark ages. You were advocating a, a, for, a, a more modern form of medicine. Um, it's also fascinating that that when you have a child who has cancer, you don't necessarily think that you're going to be facing the triple whammy of not just a healthcare system that's not fit for purpose, but you're yeah. also dealing with a media system and a legal system. And so you have okay. these sort of three super mm. systems all poised against you, working in favor of the status quo. I mean, that that is an extraordinary, I, I think that's one of the most sort of central elements of what you faced. And mm. what I might hope, what we all may hope is that you publishing this book may actually reduce the likelihood of someone having to face all of that again. I mean, we know there's been a number of cases where it has happened, but probably not with the same level of, you know, aggression aimed uh, specifically at you. I was up the creek without a, without a paddle because I did not have that legal pre representative. 
um, my a legal companion who who believed in in the future treatment, um, which wasn't available in this country at the time. And they had their, yes, the big three, the, the media, the legal system, and the National Health Service, all going one way. And I was going in the other direction, and they weren't having it. And um, yes, they were, towards the end, I felt that, that they were more, um, it was all about saving face, even though I had proton being set up already for him in America, they blocked him um, because it wasn't about preserving Leon's future, it was about saving face and it really was, it, it was just disgusting. It was about, it was about ego but you know it's the ego. oldest trick in the book, they always use character assassination instead of debating the issue. There was no debate. I know there's no debate, the, the, the issue actually would have shown something completely different. And and it, and it and it does. And any sane person reading your book is going to be able to see through that. Yes. Well, there was no investigative investigative journalism, was there? There it was all just um, yeah, character assassination and looking at um, making me out into something that I wasn't. I wasn't recognizing this monster that they were portraying. You definitely straighten the record. And I, you know, I think there may be um, some sort of big picture impacts down the line, particularly we can get the book into the right hands and, and make sure that it is out there. Um, at a personal level, there's also got to be many reasons why you wrote the book. Can you just take us through what it means to you? What Writing the book was so therapeutic. I got it all out. And um, it, the court, um, uh, when they went for custody, they, um, they advised that I saw a therapist. But I never went to see a therapist. I, my therapy was writing the book. And um, I would write and write and then put it down because it was too hard to write. Come back to it six months later and go, ooh, you know, and, and I'd have to cut that bit out, take that out, because I'd, I'd reflect on it and see, I sounded bitter. <laughs> um, but it, it was a way of getting it out. Um, and, and yes, no one could tell the story but me. And I've got uh, misrepresented so um, on such a scale that I had to do it for my, for my as part of my purpose. Um, to really highlight how it, it was such a different story than was told. And I just, I felt really disappointed by the media. They had such an opportunity at the time to inform the British public and even in New Zealand, it was a, it was a worldwide story. They had a, a great opportunity to debate and, and say, hey, this treatment, maybe there are better treatments and safer and maybe a seven-year-old child does not need to be as harmed as much. Um, it, it's an incredibly intrusive treatment. Have, have um, Neon and Electra had a read of all or parts of the book as you were writing it? Uh, I, I read them the first half. Um, we never finished it. Um, but they, they, they were quite yeah shocked. Obviously, with the first three or four chapters, I had <laughs> I had to leave a few bits and pieces of that out. But I I had to speak my truth and what actually happened. Um, and is that has there been any sort of kickback um, from their father? 
well, he did try to prevent publication, and that was um, I was gagged uh, for a good few years. I, uh, from 2013, I've been gagged, um, so I had to go back to court to to lift that uh, court order. But therein, um, but therein lies a, an important point because if you have actually taken right action in your life, um, <clears throat> there's no need to gag anyone. No, I know that's quite right. That's absolutely right. They had to silence me, um, and and you'd think, well, uh, the the male um, have had an opportunity now with my book to put things right, but. They, um, they were going to put the, an article out about the book, but I think it highlighted so much that they were wrong um, because of how awfully they portrayed me. Um, so it really puts a spotlight on, on how wrong they can be. To date, there is no apology from the NHS, but I, um, no. I do, you know, you've, you've, been, um, you've been very good and changed their names. But um, have you sent them a copy of the book, Sally? I really think I should, um, because the, oh, uh, such a blunder was made. And even if they just think twice about how egotistical they were at the time and, and condescending, they made me feel so small. And I had the, um, the proton beam therapy all set up, and they, they, they made an example of of me through the media and neon through the treatment and you know to to be in that position of power um where you actually hold the keys to the rest of someone's life in terms of their quality of life and their life experience mm. and then to put your ego before all of that i mean i i i, I was so I was so incensed back in 2012 and 13 and then reading the book again. I mean, it just ran through my body. I mean, the injustice of it all and the fact that these people should be in front of a, of a hearing. I mean, it's just... They should. They should. And if nothing else, they need to read your story and have some self-reflection time. Well, even back at the time, it was because Neon was one in a million. I felt that they just were using him as a number and... And, you know, the first thing they did, it wanted me to sign, was getting the tumour um, um, off in, so they could get a um, report on that. And it just felt like Neon was, yeah, a number and, and not being uh, treated as an individual at all. The, the truth always ends up coming out in the end. And I think um, it move, does. moving to the sort of present era, um, you must be watching what's going on with... COVID-19 with a sense that you can see under the covers a little bit. Oh, behind the veil. When you think of the media, the media again, the media and the healthcare system and even the legal system have played a pretty important role in essentially uh, putting, you know, most of the world under house arrest and essentially driving a coach and horses through fundamental rights and freedoms. Um, how have you been looking at this whole COVID phenomenon over the last few months? With utter disbelief and yes, just being able to um, see through it. Um, and I, I really don't know how people are falling for it because to me it's just so obvious that they're telling one story and it's just their narrative and they stick with that. And, um, and it's just so untrue and so unjust. And they don't talk about the risks at all. They're just 
the almighty vaccine is, is here and, and it's our saviour. But hang on a second, it's a really risky vaccine that's been untested, unproven. You're using us as guinea pigs. Same with back when, yes, the radiotherapy. What about the risks? They don't talk about that. Just to pick up the point you made about the the narrative, of course, they do change the narrative whenever it suits them. So that if you you remember, the narrative started about protecting the NHS from being overburdened. (laughs) Um, You know, then it very quickly moved to, well, let's not look at disease and hospitalizations. Let's look, look, look at cases. Let's use mass testing with PCRs, despite the fact there's no evidence that it can be used in that way. So they, the, yes, the, 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 the mechanism, the, the narrative has changed all the time, but what it is always doing is protecting the system, the status quo. Um, and um, yeah, the, the media have, have been deeply responsible. My sense is that in the years to come, just like you've exposed the story eight years down the line on Neon, this whole COVID story will be exposed and people a lot of people will get to know what was really going on and that a very large part of the huge hardship and inequalities and increased um, mortality and suicide and mental health problems were all avoidable. Um, should, a lot of them need to be held accountable and, and that's it, they're getting away with murder. It's, yeah. it, it's a crime against humanity, uh, what's happening and... Uh, quite frightful. And, and the, you know, so many crimes have been perpetrated against um, innocent people as well, like Neon, other patients. And our, our system needs to change. And we need no to doubt move about towards it. health creation for sure. But um, I think that I would really strongly urge people um, to buy your book. I think that it is of far wider appeal than just people who have cancer and cancer related you know the reason why what we're going through at the moment is also a great awakening people need to wake up and I see your book very much as a gift um, through your pain and suffering and torment to enable people to just wake up and you know see behind that veil because that's really what's going on and I don't think there's anything stopping this great awakening, but the likes of Klaus um, Schwab would see differently with his great reset. And you just watch these Monty Python kind of type criminals, and um, and it is it's unbelievable what they're proposing, and and um, the mainstream media how they how they make things out is is not well that's um, that that's the very thing that i've spent 18 hours doing yesterday is writing a three and a half thousand word peer-reviewed article on the great reset uh so oh, wow um but it's uh and, and that that again is, is is fascinating because it is depicted in one particular way um by mm. a group of people who are, have a very clear agenda but it has enough carrots in in, in you know to to if you care about the environment, well, you've got to get behind it. Um, and that's why it's the sustainable like act. Yeah. yeah. No, well, it's the Billion Years Club, isn't it? And we're not part of it. It, it is. And of course, the, the, the other sort of link between these two issues is that um, if you oppose it or you question it and become a dissenter, you're immediately pushed into um, a conspiracy theory, alternative <sighs> medicine, you know, camp and that that is the mechanism that that has grown up and even since 2012-13 
what has happened is there's been this sea change in the way in which social media are functioning. So now even social media is so tightly controlled because it's part of the system that, you know, Schwab and the World Economic Forum and intergovernmental agencies have determined they can control that narrative. And so you become marginalized. Now, the, the only time is when it all falls apart is when the group of people who have so-called been marginalized become larger and larger. And, um, you know, from, from a sort of social change point of view, I think rather than feeling completely and utterly um, paralyzed by what appears to, to be an impossibility, I think we should all recognize that all great moments of change in history, wherever there's been a civil right or a human right abuse, which is really what we're talking about with both Neon's case and the COVID situation. It's mm -hmm. always been the few that end up creating a snowball effect that brings on board so many people who suddenly see the light and see the need for change. And that's exactly where we are. So, um, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to really strongly um, support what Mel's just said. Everyone has to get out there and buy your book because I think it is an absolute story of our time, not just of 2012-13, not just about um, kids who have cancer and parents who are trying to deal with that or have parental rights removed from them or are unable to make informed choices. And in fact, on that point, the informed choice and um, coming down to the decision that people have to make on vaccinations, it's very, very current because, you know, yes. did you have the information that you needed at that point and do people today. I mean, people are running into this almost entirely blind. Um, Completely. And, and being asked to trust a system for which they, there is no evidence that they should be trusting it. Um, Apart from the media, um, yeah. the, the mouthpiece telling us that it's all good and, you know, it's going to save the day. Absolutely. But Absolutely. let's debate about that. So Sila, we're going to need to let you go, um, and it's just been—it's been so amazing to speak to you and see you looking so well, and to hear that Neon is really, against all odds, doing as well as he can do. Um, and it's been a privilege to be on the journey with you, and I hope it's not the end. But can oh, you, you, the end of our our relationship and collaboration? But can you just tell us where where can we get the book from? Where can, where can people go and find it? Well, I released the book, um, published the book with Matador, so um, we, you can get it from Troubadour Books um, and Amazon. Um, or if you need links, Sally J. Roberts at me at uh, sallyjroberts.com. I, I, saw, I saw yesterday Amazon had um, eight copies left. I bought two of them. So. <laughs> Bless you, Rob. Thank you so much. It's been so lovely. One of them is going straight to my son, who's an ENT surgeon. Um, oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, he's going to be fascinated by it. That's really oh, important. People in the medical system get to read it as well. Um, I think I will do what you say and um, suggest with sending it to the uh, lead oncologist, Neon's team, because... I, I, I think so. And, uh, and also to the doctor in Bristol. I mean, I, I think they, yes. you know, we, we all benefit from self-reflection time. And... Um, there should be something much more public, but they need to know that the that the book is out. 
Sally, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. It's an extraordinary book. It, it's, it's not only incredibly powerful and deeply emotional, it's also really well written. Mm. It's a, it's a, you know, o often memoirs and biographies are, are, you know, they get the information across, but, but your writing skills for an ex-sound engineer um, Bless you. Thank we you so much. Just need a music track in the background. I've <laughs> <laughs> got one of those up my sleeve. <laughs> but thank you. You might want us to give us one of your music tracks to use on the video. Oh, yes. Well, I'll dig one out. <laughs> the archives. But thank you. You've been both so wonderful. And it's just, you've always been so refreshing. Um, but back in 2012, when my story was so badly portrayed um at neon story uh you you brought forward the the balanced unbiased view and you really really i words can't say how much i appreciated it at the time it really lifted me my spirit thank you um, we, we, were, we were we were thrilled to see that um some of our reporting uh, made it into your book as well so. of course you have quite the way with words <laughs> so thank you it was... thank you we'll, yes, we'll get, we'll, thank you we'll get you the article on the great great reset as soon as it's published as well i would love that thank you thanks Brilliant. sally, sally it's been such now. a pleasure oh wonderful god bless you both